Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So glad to see you. Uh, hey, if you're new here, if it's your first time worshiping with us, man, we're so pumped that you're here. Um, we actually have a gift that we'd love to give you today. Um, it's a, a free t-shirt in our lobby. If you'll fill out the card from the back of the seat in front of you, drop it by Next Steps um, on your way out today. They'll give you a free t-shirt, but also give you some information about our church so that you can make an informed decision about where God would have you worship in the future. And uh, so that's our free gift for you today. Uh, this morning we're wrapping up a kind of a short series, uh, kind of a thematic series through the first eight chapters of Mark. Um, the first eight chapters, Jesus centers a lot of Jesus' ministry is to the multitudes. And that's what we see. And so that's where we've been the last three weeks is looking at Jesus' ministry to the multitudes. And week one, we saw Jesus' message. What we saw is that uh, the thing that drives Jesus on in his ministry on earth is the kingdom of God. And we see that from the very beginning. The first words we see Jesus speak um, is that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And we see that, that there, there's this idea of the kingdom of God, not just one day for those of us who have trusted in Christ, but that the kingdom of God is here and now and it's anywhere where, the, where, where God's people are living under God's reign. And that's what the kingdom of God is here. And so week two, we saw Jesus teaching. Uh, we saw that we looked at one of Jesus' parables and how it applied to his ministry to the multitudes. What we saw is that, uh, that as the thousands were gathering around Jesus, his disciples thought, hey, we're, hey, thanks, Lakeland. Hey, uh, but they thought, hey, we're, we're like, this is blowing up. Thousands of people are coming to hear Jesus. Jesus uses the parable of the souls to remind them that not everybody's going to respond in the way that y'all did. Not everyone's going to say yes to this. And he talks about that week two. Week three, we looked at uh, Jesus' healing. We saw two ladies who were healed. Uh, one lady who'd been suffering from bleeding for 12 years and a 12-year-old girl. We saw that last week. And uh, we saw the, how, that, how, how the response of the crowd uh, to those two things. And so this week, we're looking, as we wrap up kind of these first eight chapters, we're looking at Jesus' invitation, right? Jesus' invitation. And again, Jesus is inviting us to take part in this kingdom. And so... Uh, when you think about when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here on earth, you know, as God's people under God's reign, it can sound a little bit utopian. You know what I'm talking about? It sounds a little bit like a hippie commune, a bunch of people loving each other, caring for each other, meeting one another's needs. It can sound a little bit like that. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is when you, what we're going to read today, Jesus is pushing back against that a little bit and going, well, it's not going to be all happy clappy. <laughs> uh, the, what, we're, what, you're at, what we're asking you to sign up for is actually not um, not always going to be good. It's not always going to be fun. And so Jesus is helping the crowd see that living in the kingdom requires a deep commitment that's going to ask everything of you. Ask everything of you. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. That'll be fun, right? <laughs> Amen. All right, let me read Mark 8.34. I'll pray, and then we'll start talking, okay? Mark 8.34, the word of the Lord says this. Calling the crowd along with his disciples... He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, uh, that you've given us your word, God, to, uh, to make sense of life, God, to make sense of our purpose, um, but God, also to show us the life and ministry of Christ and uh, how everything in your word points forward um, to him in the Old Testament, how the New Testament points back to his life. And Father, I pray that our lives would do the same, that we would point back to Jesus through the way that we live our lives. God, today, speak to your people. God, help us uh, to, to, 
to take God's take to take God's word today, take your message today and apply it to our lives so that we can be changed. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, when I was an early teen, there was no place that I wanted to go more than the mall. Do y'all remember indoor malls when we had those? Man, there was something about the mall because the reason I loved the mall as a middle schooler was it was the only place that my mom would let me and a friend just walk around. Like we just got to go wherever we wanted to go. Um, parents, you, our middle school kids, if you're in the room, your parents made a different decision for your life. Uh, that's good because we got into trouble uh, sometimes at the mall. Uh, we goofed around a lot. We tried to look cool when there were girls around. Um, but that's what we did. We walked the mall, and we, we went in place. We didn't have any money. My mom gave us enough money for a combo at the food court. Um, but that was it. But my favorite thing about the mall was the free stuff. Love the free stuff. Love to go to the food court. There's always in front of the Cajun place or the Chinese place, there would always be a lady there with a plate full of little tiny pieces of chicken and toothpicks and everyone. <laughs> Praise God for her. And on some days, the Lord's face would shine upon you, and there would be a lady in front of the Cajun place and the Chinese place. And you just bounce back and forth and get full. And also, uh, another place, so that was where we spent a lot of our time was at the food court, um, taking the free stuff. But also, uh, there would be a video game. Uh, you know those kiosks that are always in the middle of the mall? And they'd always be selling some old game system that you hook directly to your TV, and it's got some hard drive with a ton of video games on it. And, and that, that was where we spent most of our time. But what I realized as I got older, those things aren't really free. Uh, they're not just there to give you, and then you go on about your day. Each one of them came with a sales pitch, right? Because the lady giving out the free samples at the Chinese place doesn't just want me to fill up on free samples. What's she want me to do? She wants me to get a combo number two with noodles. That's what she wants. And the guy in the middle of the with the kiosk, right? Um, he wants me to drop 60 bucks on a device that will hook up and has 4,000 Sega Genesis games on it. Uh, that's what he wants. They'll talk to me about deals. You know, hey, it's $2 off any combo today. Or we got payment plans for the Sega Genesis thing. Uh, they're trying to sell me. They, they make it so simple for me to spend my money on their product. The end goal for them and the end goal of all salesmen is to move you from interested to invested. And don't throw stuff at me because there are some caveats that we've got to work through. But this is exactly what we see Jesus doing. Jesus is taking this huge crowd of people who have shown interest in him and saying, Look, I know you like all the show. I know you love the miracles. You love, you, when, I, when I healed the young girl, that was cool, wasn't it? When I brought her back to life, when I healed the woman who had a 12 years, that was awesome. When it, the shriveled hand, y'all remember that? That was cool. You love my authoritative teaching. You never heard anybody teach like me. You love to hear me teach. It, it's awesome, isn't it? But hey, look, these 12 that are inside this circle closest to me right now, they've, they've, they're, they're not just interested, they're invested in my ministry. And today is the invitation for you to step from interested to invested. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. If you want to follow me as a disciple, you've made three passes by for teriyaki chicken already, okay? Let's put some money on the table. That's what Jesus is saying. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me as a disciple, let me first explain to you the cost. And that's where the mall analogy falls apart. Right? <laughs> Because the lady at the, the Chinese place, she don't want to talk about the cost. She, she don't want you to realize that you could go across to the Japanese place and get 
get something similar that's going to be a lot cheaper. She doesn't want you to know that. She's not explaining to you cost. She doesn't want you to go to the Chick-fil-A. She knows it's God's chicken. But she don't want you to go. She's not talking to you. She's not, she's, listen, listen, listen to me. She's not appealing to your mind. She's appealing to your emotions. Hey, that thing in your mouth right now, that's good, isn't it? Bye. The guy at the, the kiosk, he says, man, don't you remember growing up playing the Sega Genesis games at your cousin's house? What not fun, man? You can do that all day, every day, right now for the easy price of $59.99. They offer coupons, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you, like, it's just the cost of a cup of coffee three times a day for 14 months. Like, they'll say things like that, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to get you to not think about the cost. It's not the task of our Savior, though. In fact, Jesus says it up front. He says, you want to come after me? He doesn't talk about all the frills. He doesn't talk about all the cool things they're going to get to see. He says, you want to follow me? He says three things. And these three things appeal to our mind. Jesus wants us to wrestle. He wants his, the people that are listening then, and I believe us today, to wrestle, to know what the cost is. His invitation does not involve trying to lower the bar to increase sales. That's not what he's doing. His invitation is brutally honest. And honestly, only those who truly love Jesus would ever sign on for what he's about to present. Because it's nuts. So let's walk through that high bar of discipleship. And I'll warn you, it's a tough sales pitch. He wouldn't get a job at least sporting goods back there, Sam. Here we go. Number one, Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, deny yourself. Jesus says, if any person wants to follow after me, he must deny himself first. The word that Jesus uses is a word that means to disassociate with totally, to, to sever a relationship that's what Jesus is talking about. Or that's, what, that's the word Jesus uses. And nearly all the other places in the New Testament where this word is used is in reference to one particular situation. And so, Bible trivia, where do you remember the word deny quite often in the Gospels? Peter and Jesus. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the Gospel, there's four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament are all telling the story of Jesus. Uh, a majority of those actually retell the story. If you're not familiar with it, Peter was Jesus' closest disciple. And the night that Peter's are, the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, he tells Peter, Peter's talking about how much he loves Jesus, and you're the best, and I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, lie. Before morning, you're going to deny, deny me three times. He, he says, what he's saying is you're going to disassociate with me three times. Three times somebody's going to come up and say, do you know Jesus? And you're going to say, no, I don't know him. Well, guess what happens? It does. And he did. He did. He denied. He, he, that's what he did. He severed the relationship before man. Even though in his mind the, the relationship was still there, no doubt. But Jesus re was recognized as being from the same region, region, and he denies knowing him three times. And so when we, okay, we t let's take that analogy back into Mark 8, 34. Let's take that definition. We know that Jesus is before man declaring that he doesn't have this relationship. It doesn't tie, It doesn't make sense, though, because Jesus says deny yourself, not deny your friend or deny this person outside of you. He says deny yourself, and I'm no psychology major, but I don't think there's a way to separate the heart and the mind and the being and the personality from your decision-making. 
just like willy-nilly, just today. Right? Like there's no, how can we, what does Jesus mean when he says disassociate with yourself? Sever the relationship with yourself. So, in preparing to preach, I thought, well, I've got to be able to explain this well. So I had to study. So that led me first to that, and that didn't make sense. <laughs> so we had to go further, okay? So start going further. And I think God himself actually gives us a perfect example of what, what Jesus is talking about when he says the word deny. This is Second Timothy 3, uh, 2, 13. Uh, I think this gives us a ton of help. This is Peter, uh, Paul. Uh, who was a later church planner who's writing to a young man named Timothy. And this is, this is somewhat out of context, but we're just looking at the wording here, okay? He says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Right? And so what, 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 what Paul's saying, and he's using a, 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 another form of the same word that Jesus used. And it's about God and himself. So I feel like this is the best thing we can do. It seems like Paul is saying God can't contradict himself, right? God can't go against his very nature. You know why? What does Paul Paul mean? Paul says God is faithful. So God can only be faithful in his actions. If he's faithful in his nature, he can only be faithful in his actions. God can't contradict himself. He can't deny himself. Now that made sense to me when I was studying. Take that back to Mark 8.34. What's Jesus saying? The very thing that God can't do is what you need to do. See, God has a perfect nature. Your nature? My nature? Not so good. The Bible says it's marred. It's it's scarred. It's not just injured. It's dead. Our nature is totally selfish and sinful. And what Jesus is saying, you want to come after me? You've got to disassociate with your sinful nature. You've got to cut off yourself from the way that you want to be. If you're to follow me, you have to contradict the very thing that your heart tells you to do. You have to abandon what your heart says. You've got to be guided not by your own interests anymore. I believe it, it makes sense in light of if you, if you look at what happened right before Mark 8, 34. Uh, Peter, again, he's a, like a walking... Uh, example of stupidity a lot of times, but Jesus uh, begins to teach uh, his disciples that it was necessary. This is verse 31 of Mark 8. Uh, that it was necessary for the Son of Man. Now, that's an Old Testament term that Jesus is applying to himself. It's from the book of Daniel. Um, he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter takes him aside. I love this. And began to rebuke him. It's a bold move. See how it plays out. But turning around from the private moment and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Listen to this part. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. So Jesus is accusing Peter of having the wrong priorities and and, and making decisions based on his heart. Now, what's the next thing Jesus says? If you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. So Peter is the walking perfect example to everybody around of what Jesus is not talking about. <laughs> Does it mean to deny yourself? Hey, y'all see what Peter just did? That. Stop that. Stop doing what you want to do. Stop giving in to your own desires. 
He's not pull, Jesus isn't pulling this principle out of, out of nowhere. He's, he's, he's more than likely taking an encounter that he just had with his closest disciple and showing the crowds that, uh, what a bad example looks like. Jesus was saying that following him requires you to stop fighting for your way all the time. Before I say this, I need you to know I'm a happily married man. But I like to win fights. Do y'all like to win fights in your marriage? Man, I hate. There's nothing. Is there anything worse than at the end of a fight? And not just with your spouse, a, a friend, or your parents, or something, of having to say, you know what? I was wrong. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. And I try to win fights. It's me making decisions based on my needs and my concerns. This is the sinfulness of the human nature. We'll take down even the people we love for the sake of feeling good about ourselves. Jesus says, I know it's hard. This is the very thing that, 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 that's, that it's hard for you because of your sinful nature, but you've got to stop fighting for your way all the time and ba- basing your decisions on your needs and concerns. And, and why it's so hard is that the world that we have created in 21st America, 21st century America, um, has placed the individual as the most important person in, our, in, our, in the world. For people raised by our society, there is no voice in their lives more important than their own voices. And I know y'all think it's technology's fault. No, it ain't. Do a history search of America. It's existed a long time, baby. This has been building over the years. Technology has exponentially made it worse. (laughs) But the selfishness being driven by our society has always been there. And it can be hard for us to imagine anything other than this type of world because most of us have, have not only grown up in a very selfish environment, but we've lived through, especially for me at 34 years old, I've lived through the exponential part. Like I remember going in a chat room for the first time. I don't know what chat room is, but that's in my lifetime. And now I've got a thing in my pocket that like I, can, I just text people. I don't have to know a password to get into a secret chat room. Anyway, I just text. There's always things that are not in my notes. But you need to know that the the, the culture that Jesus is speaking into was not nearly as individualistic, okay? Uh, The Jewish culture of the first century was very community, very family-oriented. Though they still had sinful nature, it was very family and community oriented. So the question, the thing is, Jesus knows what he's saying. Deny yourself is hard for them. Now, 2,000 years later, in a society that is totally obsessed with ourself, good night. It seemed not, see, what Jesus was asking them was total counter, it was counter to their nature. What Christ is asking us to do today, because I believe this text applies to us today too. He's not only calling us to go against our nature, he's calling us to go against culture. Like it's not in our culture to care about other people. It's not in our culture to to put the things of God above ourselves. This is the very thing that God has called us to do. It's what he said 2,000 years ago. It's what he says today and it's what he'll say 2,000 years from now if we're still around. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. And then he follows it up with a phrase that um, would have been really tough to hear. Take up your cross. He says, if you want to follow me, follow after me, deny yourself, 
and take up your cross. What do you think of when you think of the cross? I think of Jesus. Like, you know, here's the deal. Tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people have been crucified on crosses throughout human history. But for most of the world, when we see a cross, who do we picture on it? Jesus. <laughs> it's ingrained in me, especially as a Christian. It's ingrained in me. But what you got to realize, right? Jesus ain't dead yet. So Jesus hasn't hung on the cross yet. Okay? Acknowledge that. Right? Nod with me. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet in the text in 8 Mark 8, 34. So take up your cross must have some other meaning than that. What was Jesus trying to convey to the original audience? It seems clear that it was meant to shock the crowd. Because, see, the crucifixion was not only a painful way to die, it was a shameful way to die. If you're not familiar, I'll walk you through. The condemned, uh, the person who is condemned would be forced to carry uh, this, you know, 100-ish pound cross beam strapped to their arms or just over their shoulder to a place outside the city gates where the crucifixion would take place. Once there, they would be hung on the cross, often naked uh, by ropes or by nails until they suffocated in front of a large crowd. So, there was no dignity in a crucifixion. It was as shameful as it was painful. So taking up the cross could very well include being willing to take on a life that will include shame from others. You, if you're a Christian in the room, you know what I'm talking about. To live for Christ in your workplace means folks are going to look at you with dis disdain sometimes. Standing for Christ in your family when everybody else is going this way and you say, hey, no, <laughs> and you point your feet this way, it's hard and, and, and it, it, fe it feels similar to the shame that the person's feeling as they're carrying the cross. Being a Christian also involves an openness and an emotional nakedness as we can't keep our convictions to ourselves and we've got to share what Christ has done in our lives even to people that don't want to hear it. Y'all, there's nothing more just that makes you feel open and scared and uncomfortable than looking in the eyes of someone you don't know how they're going to respond and telling them that Jesus loves them and how Jesus has changed your life. You know, very different than hanging naked on a cross. I get it. <laughs> but a similar feeling, an openness, a, 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 whatever, there's a word there. Often feels like the Christian life is, is walking a difficult road and everybody's just watching it happen and nobody's helping But I believe the image is more than that because when we look at the context of the comment again, um, we see a little insight. When you go back to Mark eight thirty one, I read it earlier, but Jesus says something really important, and um, we don't see Jesus be so blunt about the end of his life, but uh, in many places. But here he says it, Mark eight thirty one. Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. Now, Jesus doesn't mention the cross, of course, but Jesus is sharing them, with them that he is going to suffer greatly and that there's going to be rejection, and that rejection is eventually going to lead to his death. 
I will be led away. Like I will be rejected and I will be killed. And y'all, three verses later, I don't know how much time has passed whether Mark put these stories together. But three verses later, Jesus says, if you plan to follow me, take up your cross. Take up your method of execution. I don't think it's far-fetched to think that when Jesus was saying, take up your cross, he's referencing back to 31 and saying, look, I've already told you, I'm on my way to die. And if you're going to follow me, guess where the path leads? Like you can't, disciples, you can't follow me because this is where I'm heading. To follow someone as a disciple is to assume that the same treatment and outcome of their life that they got is what you're going to get. Amen? This this is the case. So yes, uh, take up your cross could be a reference to the shame that Christians will experience, the openness that we have to live with. It's so uncomfortable. But it seems that the primary meaning behind take up your cross is being willing to die. Take your cross with you. Uh, Luke, when Luke retells the story in his gospel, he, he says that Jesus used the word daily in there. Take up your cross daily so that when the moment comes that you have to lay down your life for Jesus, you are ready. Well, the serious call of discipleship that we see in, in point two, right? Like take up your cross ramps up the previous one. Look, if there was any any ounce in the original audience or even us today of reading Deny Yourself and downplaying it, Jesus just squashed that. Right? Because to me, um, deny yourself could mean, you know what? Just to sacrifice so I can give more to the church, I'm going to live in a small house. I'm not going to live in some big house. I'm going to choose a small house. I'm going I'm to keep using an iPhone 6 while everybody else is upgrading. I'm going to drive stuff. I'm going to drive a car that's not so nice. I'm denying myself certain creature comforts, but you're denying yourself something else. Okay? Jesus squashes the idea that that's what he's talking about when he says, take up your cross. I read in a commentary this week uh, about the phrase, deny yourself. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to come back and hit on the last part because it's going to... It's going to to add a whole other element to this. What Jesus calls for here is thus a radical abandonment of one's own identity and self-determination and a call to join the march to the place of execution follows appropriately from this. Such self-denial is on a different level altogether from giving up chocolates for Lent. It's not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of of the self itself. Do you see the difference, church? Let me read the last part again. It is not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of the self itself. We think because we're willing to give up TV for two weeks or not live a life like other people who don't know Christ is denying ourselves. But that's denying something to the self. To take up your cross involves dying to the self altogether, abandoning our natural desires for a desire that centers itself on Christ, forsaking our heart for the heart of God in everything. While Disney and the world around us says, follow your heart, we know our heart is wicked and we follow Jesus. 
Jesus says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. You want to follow me? Take up your cross. And then Jesus says a weird one. If you want to follow me, follow me. You see how weird that is? It sounds like Jesus is being pretty redundant here. Um, If you want to follow me, follow me. Uh, It sounds like Jesus is stuck on repeat like he forgot how he started the sentence. But I think the redundancy is intentional. And here's why. You don't get to follow Jesus without actually following Jesus. To come after me, Jesus says, you have to do things the way I do things. Live the way I live. And if I were to ask you today a question that's been on my heart this week, if I were to ask you, are you following Jesus? All of us who are Christians would probably say yes. Probably would. And if I were to ask a follow-up and ask this question, this is the one I've been wrestling with. Are you living life like Jesus? The answer from some of us, maybe many of us, and sometimes even your pastor would be no. And yes, I get Jesus was perfect, so as broken humans, we cannot imitate his life without error. I get it. But y'all, we can strive for it. And I, I would say there are, time, there are times in my past, in my not too, recent, not too distant past, I'm afraid to say that my life did not look like I was even pursuing it. I'm like, That's not okay. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I claim to be following Jesus. What are, what areas are you looking more like Jesus today than you were last year? If it takes a while to answer, then that's just, that, that's a problem. Again, it doesn't, I'm not saying it means anything about you, but it reveals a problem. You may not be denying yourself. You may not be taking up your cross because you're not actively following Jesus. The discipleship call of Jesus, yes, though it is heavy, it is not one without God's help. The call can only be pursued by us when God's Spirit is leading us. And so our prayer life needs to be, God, help me live a Christ-like life. But church, then we've got to be willing to do it. (laughs) You know how many times in my early life I prayed, God, if you would just put somebody in my path today, that I could share Jesus with. Just somebody, Lord, put him in my path. You know how many times I went to bed that night without sharing Jesus at all that day? Way, way too many. So let me ask you, who didn't do their part, me or God? You think I didn't encounter somebody that day that needed Jesus? I did. God put him there, and I didn't do anything about it. And so this is something, again, I'm wrestling with this too. We need, to be, we need to be praying for God to, to help us live this Christ life. We need to ask him to, to put us in situations where we can live for Christ, but we've got to be willing to do it too. And y'all, I know, I know like, as, as somebody told me this morning, I didn't like that message. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't like it either. Like, I like preaching about fun stuff and entertain, like stuff that, that's encouraging, and, but sometimes I've got to wrestle with hard things. 
And I know this is a hard message, and when we, when we hear a hard message, if God's speaking to you today, what you need to know, there are two ways you can respond today. And we actually see both of them in the Scriptures. And when God showed me this, man, it changed the way, uh, the, it changed the way I sit under the teaching of God's Word. And I hope it helps you too. There are two rich men that Jesus encounters. One, we, just, we find out he's just a rich young ruler. That's all we get him called. And the other guy's name is Zacchaeus. Both of these men have an interaction with Jesus where they are confronted with their sinfulness. They both feel like dirt, okay? Like they feel like, oh, man. They feel the conviction of God on their life. The rich young ruler we hear, uh, he feels it. I believe he, I believe he feels it in his heart. I believe he feels it in his mind. He knows that the path he's on is bad. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus talks about it and says, follow me, it says he drops his head and he walks away sad. He walks away sad. And we get no, like there's not a part two. Ah, he's living for Jesus now. Like we're to assume that the rich young ruler was confronted with his sin, felt like dirt, but walked away the same. And so many times I've sat in the teaching of God's word and I've heard, deny yourself, take your cross and follow me. And I've went, golly, I need to do better. And I felt the conviction of God and I've equated the conviction of God with repentance. Because I walked out upset and told the pastor, I stomped on my toes, but I went to lunch and I did nothing about it. You see, repentance is something that comes after conviction. (laughs) It's not the same. That's what we see with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, and Jesus calls him to the carpet on his sin. And you know what Zacchaeus does? He doesn't drop his head and walk away sad and go, man, Jesus is right. He says, you know what? I'll do whatever. And and he, he puts a next step in front of him. His next step, he was a tax collector, which meant he was taking money from for Rome, and he was taking more than he could to line his pockets a little bit. He said, I'm going to take all the money that I've stolen and I'm giving it back with interest to the people I stole it from. That's repentance. You see that? That's a next step for him. And this is, this is what we're encountered with. Every time we sit in the teaching of God's word, we've got an opportunity. We can walk away as a rich young ruler with our head down and go, man, that was a tough message today, wasn't it? Or we can walk away with next steps before us to live a life of repentance. My, my call for you today, please don't, don't in this moment let Satan convince you that it's enough to feel bad after you've sat in the teaching of God's word. When you feel conviction, that means God spoke to you, but, 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 but let the conviction drive you to next steps. Zacchaeus was moved in his heart and mind just like the rich young ruler was, but it made its way to his hands. It made its way to his hands. So let me walk you through an assessment. If, if God's speaking to you today through this message about deny yourself, take your cross, and follow me, um, I want to just present you with each one of those and some questions to help you wrestle with. Jesus says this, if you would come after me, deny yourself. Let me ask you, is your life one that is characterized by denial of yourself? Not denying things to yourself, denying the sinful nature within you altogether and trying your best with God's help to live a life different. Or do you more often than not center your life around your own needs and desires? Jesus also said, if you come after me, take up your cross. Questions I've wrestled with this week. Are you committed to live out your faith no matter where it may lead? Are you willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ, even your life? The third thing Jesus says was, if you would come after me, follow me. Questions, are you, are you working towards Christ's likeness with intentionality and are you praying to God that he change you? 
If you know God's word has revealed some things in your life today that need addressing, addressing. If you feel overwhelmed, know that's Satan, not God. If you feel overwhelmed to the point that you don't know what to do, that's Satan, not God. Don't get overwhelmed. Simply ask the question, in which of these three areas is my life most out of whack? And spend the next, we're going to sing one more song here in a second. Spend this song chewing on what next steps you need to take. It's a beautiful song, but don't sing it. If you need to wrestle with God on what next steps you need to take, then do that. If you need help deciphering what next steps to take, that's why I stand down here like a doofus in front of you every week and look at you. Because I want want you to know that if you need help making decisions and taking next steps, I'm down here. I may slide to the front row, but I'm still here. We always have decision counselors by the back door. Again, they're there to help you wrestle with what next steps you need to take. And today, listen, if you're not following Jesus, but you'd like to, we're here for that too. The same message Jesus said, repent and believe the good news, is the same thing that I'm going to tell you today. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you no longer had to be separated from God, but that you could come into his presence, even though you're a sinner. But you've also heard the message today that uh, that you get to take part in the kingdom of God. Not one day, but if you're a Christian, you get to do that here and now. You get to experience the presence of God, live under his rule and reign here on the earth now. And, and, You've heard the high cost of discipleship. You've heard the sales pitch, and it's awful. <laughs> if Jesus was trying to make sales, it ain't good. But Jesus wanted you to know what this life looks like. If you need to talk to somebody about that, please, for the love of all that is good, don't talk talk to us before you leave. Don't walk out the doors. We're gonna say we're gonna sing this song. If you need to spend this song worshiping, you need to spend this song praying. You need to spend this song with a notebook, jotting out a couple of next steps for you. You need to come to this altar and lift up prayers for yourself or for other people. Or you need to come talk to decision counselors or myself. We would love to help you wrestle with that, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, we'll stand and we'll sing, and you can respond however God leads you. Father, we thank you.